Welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name's Edwin Davis, and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi, Emily. How's it going? It's going well, thank you, Ed. I'm emotional because I'm an emotional person anyway. I'm emotional mm-hmm. for a more specific reason that we'll come on to shortly. Um, how are you doing? Yes, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, since the last time that we recorded... I got to go into the new office that my company has and they built and which has been sat mostly empty since it opened last year or because of obvious reasons. Um, But um, I went in for one evening because we had a special event on at work, um, like an annual thing that we do, which... Over the last two years, we've obviously had to do over Zoom, but now, like, most of the people on my team are vaccinated, and it seemed, and we were going to be in a big, like, airy, fairly well-ventilated room, so it seemed safe for everyone to kind of come in to do this one event. Uh, and it was great, it was a, it was tremendous fun, uh, and it was really cool getting to see people uh, for the first time in two years, and it come sometimes for the first time ever, because, you know, like, a bunch of people have joined the team in the last two years. But it started somewhat inauspiciously. Because (laughs) in order for this event to go off well and to be as effective as possible, I needed to bring in my work PC, which is in my apartment. I needed to bring it in um, to the office. So I got everything, all my stuff packed and everything, put it all in my uh, backpack and was carrying this PC down three flights of stairs, got to the bottom of the stairs, got to my car, put this PC down, suddenly realized I had not brought my car keys because and i'm not this is not the stupidest thing about this whole situation because my apartment has a smart lock so i often leave my apartment without my car keys if i you know without even thinking about it because it just locks automatically um but i stood there for i would say probably about 30 seconds just kind of like staring off into the middle distance weighing up do i leave my computer by the side of the road and hope no one steals it? Or do I carry it all the way up three flights of stairs again so I can go and get my car keys? And in the end, I decided to do the latter because I thought it's really not worth the risk of (laughs) something happening to the PC while I'm doing it. So I had to pick up this PC, haul it up three flights of stairs, immediately change out of all my clothes because by this point I was absolutely drenched in sweat. So I had to quickly change out and in the end this was a benefit because the room we were in got so hot over the course of the evening that my second change that changing out of jeans into shorts ended up being very beneficial for me because uh, I was able to stand the heat in that room better than some but yeah just as it was happening I was thinking well at least I've got all of the fuck-ups done in this opening like five minutes uh now everything can proceed smoothly and that's more or less how it went after that point but there was definitely um, a moment when I was just like staring off, as I said, staring off into the middle distance, stabbed next to my car, just thinking, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that was, uh, like I said, it was great, wonderful event. No one, as far as I'm aware, got sick from it. So that's also uh, a great benefit. Um, but yeah, not, not planning to go back into the office full time anytime soon. But for one-off events, um, it's pretty fun. So we'll go on to the news segment this week. I think this episode is probably going to be fairly news heavy, um, but we will start off with some local news, like hyper-local because it relates to this podcast. Uh, Emily, why don't you uh, kick us off with this news story? This episode is my last episode as regular co-host of SRS. Um, It's not an easy decision, but... Various things in my life are calling me to be in uh, IRL. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Some volunteering things I'm trying to do, some different work things, personal stuff. Uh, Yeah, and it's not easy and I genuinely am emotional because in some way, shape or form, SRS has been a part. 
part of my life since, what, 2017, I think, Ed, is when you first asked me to come on the podcast. Yes, when we did the uh, the Twin Peaks episode for the Twin Peaks The Return. I think that was the first time. It was indeed, yeah. Um, and because I just tweeted, looking back on it, quite pretentious tweet, <laughs> as a lot of my tweets were, um, that Twin Peaks The Return was a poem. Like, stop trying to look at it as a story and think of it as a poem. Um, and you said, oh, that's interesting. Let's have a chat about Twin Peaks The Return. And God bless you, Ed, because that was the first time... You took something of mine that was fundamentally a bit vague and gave me the space to elaborate slash ramble on it. Mm -hmm. And that happened many times over the past few years. Um, And particularly during the pandemic, this isn't an understatement, the regularity and structure that SRS provided me with and chatting to you every week or every couple of weeks about culture and the state of things was a lifeline. So I'm hugely grateful, um, and I won't say too much more because then I'll just emotionally wreck myself a la our episode on The Good Place finale. Mm-hmm. He, there's plenty more I can rant and ramble about um, over the next uh, hour or so, um, so I'll hold that for later. But yeah, I am, um, I am just really grateful. No, thank you. It's it's been wonderful having you be a part of the show for you know five years. You know for that first two years, sort of on and off. Particularly when Matt was you know gallivanting across South America, like he continues <clears throat> to gallivant, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you came on a bunch of times, and you know were a very dependable uh, person to reach out. Saying, oh, I think I'm sure Emily would love to talk about this, and then uh, you know coming on full time. Uh, after that and you know rotating with Matt and I'd like to say over the last two years in particular I that the this show and talking to you has been a really great lifeline for me as well like a real sense of consistency and uh honestly a way of dividing up when the weekend is oh yeah um no like oh it's Sunday that means that we're recording okay good uh you know I, I, I work tomorrow okay I can divide time up <laughs> um but that as well, you know, as things begin to more normalise and things start to open up, obviously that means that it, it just gets harder to kind of commit to doing this every week. So it's totally understandable. I completely understand why uh, you're not able to continue doing it. And like, obviously, I'd love to have you on again in the future uh, as a guest. There's always uh, the doors always open for you to come back to talk about anything um and yeah i'd just like to say thank you for uh thank you for being a friend uh, <laughs> thank you for being on the show for so much over the last uh five years um and then in terms of what that means for the show going forward i think probably gonna have a bit of a break uh while you yeah, know we figure out what that means probably gonna start having more guests on when the show kind of ramps back up probably after the summer just because Work is going to be very busy for me in the next uh, couple of uh, next couple of minutes. No, uh, in the next couple of months, yeah. But uh, this isn't the end of the show. The show is going to continue in some form or another. But yeah, just for anyone who's uh, been following along regularly over the years, it's probably going to be a little bit of a uh, a, a break in releases uh, to try and figure out what exactly um, that means. But uh, yeah, so that's just a very very brief update on what. Uh, "Quote unquote," the future holds for shot reverse shot. Yeah, ah. I, I cannot wait to see how um, the format uh, changes, evolves, involves other people, um, and you know Lynch is still making stuff. So I'd love to come back and guest about that wacky guy because don't mm. we just love him? <laughs> yeah, it, we'll, we'll we'll binge watch all of his weather updates. Um, figure out what they mean so we'll go on to the rest of the news the uh more global news um in terms of entertainment not the real news <laughs> well actually this the, the real news this week was a mixed bag um well done Sinn Féin I guess um <laughs> so uh I think the first thing we'll probably talk about a little bit is and this will tie into our main topic but I think this is worth discussing straight up here is the 
news that Netflix um, a few weeks ago announced that they had lost subscribers for the first time, um, possibly ever, certainly the first time in a long time, where their subscriber base fell by about 200,000 subscribers. And then they had said that they're forecasting about 2 million subscribers uh, leaving in the next quarter. This caused their stock to plunge by 25%. And I would not consider myself an expert on the stock market, but my understanding is that's not good. Yeah, that's quite um, a big, that's nearly Trenta percenter, Ed. Mm. And if Nichten Lichten said the head of Netflix. Um, yeah, I wonder how much of this is the attrition of, as we were just kind of saying at the top there, as we are hopefully moving into endemic and out of pandemic, whether mm. a lot of people just realise they're not using their Netflix subscription as much. I think I think there's so many different demographics and their behaviour is is multiple but they're mm. all doing the same action which is unsubscribing i don't know how much of it is people who uh signed up for a free trial and didn't realize it was ongoing other people who realize they're just not using it and actually they're a disney plus household whether some people are fed up of paying for other people's profiles so have just cut them off at the root um there's a lot of different things that you know a lot of different use cases it is interesting that it's all happening sort of round about the same time and i don't think you can necessarily point to yeah just one thing so it's not like you know it's interesting to see netflix possibly entering its quibby era <laughs> <laughs> um because i think the first wave of unsubscribers would generally um, ethical or boycotters right and and I would include myself in this that I wanted to distance myself from Netflix because I did not enjoy in the slightest how it was shirking responsibility and trying to say oh we're a platform and it's like no you're a publisher like mm -hmm. you commission things um, and you have to take responsibility for that and comment beyond free speech is good we guess like no come on like you're there are still millions and billions of dollars like swirling about in the air someone can catch them and use it to make a more interesting argument you know um rather than the kind of usual bland corporate speak that seems to sort of like have a kind of um it's like la croix you know it's like mm -hmm. I, think there's, I think it met a strawberry at one point but it was a long time ago it's the same with this kind of like uh, the formal apology and any kind of responsibility and then now I think there's a bit more of a churn where I think even beyond, you know, the sort of initial boycotting of, of like various shows that were kind of courting very specific audiences, we'll sort of go into that a bit more in the main topic and we've touched on it before, it's also just a glut. And I'm like... Mm -hmm no one in this UI can really pass what they're after. Mm -hmm. I think it's shifting too much to the kind of prime model of, it's just a big bucket. Come and, come and rootle around in the bucket rather than anything curated. And it is Facebook, it's move fast and break things. Because Netflix was a startup and it's managed to grow and now people are pushing back and not getting on board with the growth anymore because I don't think Netflix is actually looking to keep subscribers. It's just looking to add them. And those are two mm. very different things. Yeah, I think as well the, the glut aspect of it I think probably contributes to a general image of Netflix as just not really concerned with quality. You know, they will have one or two shows that people will glom onto every year and that people will generally decide are good or at least, you know, culturally relevant enough to kind of dominate the conversation for a week. But they produce so many shows. They produce hundreds of shows and movies every year or they, you know, buy up movies at film festivals and then release them to hardly any support. And... I think that has generally harmed their brand in a way where they now do not seem as essential as they seemed even five years ago, where so many of these 
shows just kind of go out into the ether and no one seems to watch and or even the ones that people are drawn to and you know kind of gain a passionate fan base they then cancel um so they have that reputation you know they're getting the you know fox circa 2001 um reputation for just cancelling all the shows that people agree are good and that they love and i think these are all abstractly damaging to the brand of netflix where they are just seen as people who just like churn out a ton of stuff and for a lot of people i think they look at that and they think there's just not a lot of there's so much stuff on here but i hardly watch any of it and then with you know inflation you know cost of living crisis in the in the uk in particular i think a lot of people are probably going to look at the cost of spending what fifteen dollars whatever it is a month on a netflix subscription and deciding hmm, probably not the kind of expense i can spare at this point absolutely compared to for example your heavy hitters like disney plus and prime where mm. it does actually have you know a lot you know in terms of quantity but it's also got genuine range like mm. disney plus essentially has adult and kids channels worth worthy of like platforms each right and generally it's just like nice and simple here's the search bar it kind of looks you know ui wise it looks a bit like netflix in terms of like the carousels but really the majority of people who have disney plus will be family households and they know exactly what they're searching for Mm. so it's a bit more streamlined pardon the sort of pun whereas now I'm like, I don't think I could tell you what Netflix stands for anymore. Other than, yeah. I think, clickbait sort of shows. Um, it's the kind of stuff that you burn through very quickly. I think their originals have got really poor, considering Bojack Horseman was one of their first originals. And now it just seems... There are far too many that are all sort of the same. It's kind of like how capitalism is meant to create different things, but then all of the social media platforms are just starting to become each other and that Mother Nature just wants everything to be a crab eventually. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) I cannot wait until I crabify. Um, But it's not good for Netflix because I could not tell you what a prime net... Sorry, again, pardon the pun. Um, Netflix show is anymore so because Netflix doesn't really have a strong sense of identity anymore I think it doesn't know what to be and it just is only focusing on growing it's like it can't stop being a startup Mm. and I think as well the problem it has in differentiating itself against the um, other services like Disney Plus is that it just doesn't really have a great library in the way that yeah. obviously Disney has all the Disney stuff. So that's a big advantage. But even um, HBO Max, which has tons of old movies through um, TCM and also just in general has like a pretty decent selection of new and old movies. You can look at those and those feel more like what Netflix was when it first started. Like I remember in... 2012 or so when i first moved over here um and was regularly watching uh stuff on my parents' netflix stuff they had like a huge selection of older movies like i watched all four and a half hours of fritz lang's uh, dr mavu's the gambler Um. on netflix (laughs) and like that's a a wild thing to think of now considering how they have so few older movies and so few movies that aren't just netflix originals and i think that contributes a great deal to a lot of people's thinking about whether or not it's worth keeping netflix on anymore is like you know one their originals have are just way more missed than hit and are so diffuse that very few of them really appeal to a decent number of their um audience and then also for people who just want a back catalog of stuff that they can watch easily there's just not a huge amount there that's really worth watching um, in terms of older movies, uh, which 
and they can be serviced much more effectively by by any of the other services that have cropped up in Netflix's wake. It, it really feels as if the all originals approach that Netflix have taken over the last sort of five or six years or so has really dented their brand in a major way. Uh, in in related news as well, on the back of this, Netflix presumably because they kind of started panicking, thinking, "Oh, we probably need to cut costs somewhere." They announced they were firing a lot of people who had been hired to work on their show, their um, their website, Tudum, which uh, was essentially a uh, a nominally a criticism website, but entirely about Netflix stuff, staffed by Netflix um, employees who would you know write presumably positive reviews of Netflix's products. And I found this very interesting. One, because it seems like if you're going to start firing people, firing relatively low-paid um, journalists and critics who work for you is probably not the first place you should start in terms of cutting costs. But also because the reaction to this, on the one hand, was a lot of people being very sympathetic to the people who lost their jobs because... A lot of them were fairly young and a lot of them were women and people of colour who had been kind of like brought on with great promises and as a, a, a foot, uh, as a kind of a foot in the door to the industry, which is understandable because a lot of people get screwed over by, a lot of people get screwed over by the journalism industry in general and lose their jobs when outlets close down. But I personally was very uneasy with this because when Tadum was announced, all I could see it as was, you know, the propaganda arm of Netflix. And whilst I have sympathy for the people who lost their jobs, I still can't help but think, yeah, but it was not an honourable job to be fired from. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, I think it's like sometimes when you hear sort of writers and journalists particularly in the UK, about writing for certain papers, shall we say, where they say, oh, but it's just a job. And it's like, no, not for papers that call human beings cockroaches, you know? Like, you're mm. still within that editorial banner. And I know that is kind of, um, it's very much uh, an inflammatory uh, aside, but I do think that it speaks to Netflix's greater business model, which is that it just burns and churns people you know mm. so it's very box ticky um and it doesn't really come across as anything other than disingenuous i don't think it's really about lessons learned it's more about let's deflect attention until we until we can kind of distract people with something else i i don't think there's a deep range of genuine diversity and variety um, in Netflix. And also it seems that they do something quite similar to YouTube, but it's kind of worse because YouTube is dealing with user uploaded content. And that is a whole other, a whole other um, minefield to moderate rather than stuff that you have commissioned and know is coming in, um, which is we'll just leave it up to the almighty algorithm and let everything sink or swim, but it doesn't actually give things that may be a bit different its own pride of place. Like it has its favorite children and it will push them to everyone regardless of how the algorithm works. And every so often you get a squid game, right? And then they think, oh, right, okay, push, push, push. And it doesn't really give anyone true variety or diversity. It just gives people trending. Mm. Uh, in other news, Frank Langella was recently uh, fired from, um, was it a play? Um, it was or... uh, Netflix. It's again, it's all Netflix. It's the House oh, of... Oh, Netflix again. It's everything the... Netflix. Everything Netflix. It's the fall of the House of Usher. Yeah, so he was, he was recently fired from that production uh, for uh, uh, being inappropriate around some of the, the cast and crew of that production. And... Usually, when that happens, you know, the people who are let go maybe kind of recede and uh, don't want to draw too much attention to themselves. 
uh, old Frank, he, he went in a different way. Uh, Emily, why don't you uh, tell us about what Frank Langella decided to do? Deadline broke the story, reached out to Frank for comment, and Frank went, comment, here's a letter. I've decided to defend myself. No, he's mm. not a lawyer. Don't. Um, <laughs> it is a perfect piece of satire. It's such a shame that he means it genuinely because I, gen- it, it is the most glorious parody of an a non-apology slash polemic um, putting the man in manifesto. <laughs> it's a real doozy in terms of burying the lead because he kind of starts talking about like, oh, this thing happened. And then when someone asked me, did I do this? I went, yes. And it's like, wow, you missed that out of the initial (laughs) um, uh, plot point. That's a very important bit of context. Um, And he makes everyone else seem like ridiculous pearl clutches contrary to the exigencies of art. Um, Whereas it's like, no, you're you're a professional on the set of a fucking Netflix show, and I'm sorry, but Netflix ain't art. It may be culture, but it ain't art. And you had an agreement in the blocking with an intimacy coordinator and the director and all of the staff, exactly what and crew, exactly what you were going to do, and you didn't do it. And people are right to feel uncomfortable with that. The thing that I don't think a lot of, uh, I don't want to just put it on a generation and say old timers, but let's say a, a certain milieu of actor, is that performing a sex scene is actually a stunt. And mm. trying to say like, oh, I just, I know we kind of went through the stunt, but uh, I actually kind of wanted to do something differently. Is that is just hugely dangerous. <laughs> it's, you know, And it's creepy because it sounds like they want to get caught away with the moment and it all be, and it's like, ew, no, that's gross. Like, why are you trying to do that to a coworker? Um, So he really sticks himself in it. But then he says something at the end about it being un-American and it's like, oh, just because, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that the purpose of America was for Frank Langella to do whatever he wanted. My mistake. So yeah, it's, like grab yourselves a cuppa and a custard cream because it, it's um it's frankly huh just hilarious like you, you can't take it seriously it's um it's a little bit a delicious chinese meal <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think that's the 28th amendment that frank langella can do whatever he likes uh, passed in the the wake of um Masters of the Universe fever. Oh, yeah. Everyone loved him so much as Skeletor that they just felt, you know, he's got carte blanche. And then uh, last couple of news stories this week, uh, there was uh, a couple of, of sad deaths that um, certainly I think were, were very notable to me because they were actors, very much that guy actors who had been in a bunch of things, but who um, have been in some things that I, I personally love a great deal. Um, first was Mike Haggerty, who passed away at the age of 67. Probably most recognisable to people um, for playing the super in um, many episodes of Friends. Uh, people recognise him as just kind of a huge uh, guy with a big moustache who would always just kind of like wander in and just be very gruff and hard scrabble working class characters. Uh, he's also very funny in um, an episode of Kirby Enthusiasm. But I mostly think of him as uh, Davy from the first Wayne's World, who's one of the guys in Ed O'Neill's uh, diner who plays a perfect foil to Ed O'Neill when he starts going on his rants about, you know, um, when you kill a man in the fit of passion, uh, it's considered a crime. <laughs> or, you know, all the kind of like bizarre, violent rants that Ed O'Neill goes on. And, they, you know, uh, uh, Mike Haggerty is, has the perfect kind of just... Uh, befuddled face to respond to that sort of stuff um an actor who as soon as if anyone just looks at him you'll immediately think oh yeah i've seen that guy in a thousand things and he was always very good and then second uh relevant because we were talking a little bit about twin peaks earlier is uh, kenneth walsh 
uh, sorry, Kenneth Welsh, who, uh, again, a character actor who was in a load of things. I think um, most notably be something like uh, The Aviator, where he plays Catherine Hepburn's father, kind of a very notable role in that movie. But I think for, for fans of Twin Peaks, they'll know him mainly for the role of Wyndham Earl, Agent Cooper's mentor, who... Um, goes insane prior to the events of the series and then comes back towards the end of the second season and kind of becomes the antagonist for the final run of episodes leading up to Cooper going into the Black Lodge. A very crucial role, a very uh, fun, over-the-top villain who I think in a lot of people's minds kind of rescues the second season um, after, you know, 12 episodes of James riding his fucking bike around. Um yeah, he, he kind of gave it a bit of urgency that I think the middle part of that season of television was maybe lacking. Personally, I don't think he completely rescues it because he's so over the top that he kind of feels out of place even in a uh, a world as heightened as Twin Peaks. But he uh, was a magnetic uh, screen presence who uh, created you know an iconic character there and also was just, again, someone who was in a million things and every time he showed up you were guaranteed that he would make the screen more interesting by being on it. Uh, so we'll go on to our main topic for this week which is kind of a nebulous discussion about you know where the entertainment industry is in terms of streaming and peak tv which are, I think are, are at this point very much intertwined and you know the future what do the next sort of few years for television and film look like because um emily you said that you had started watching the staircase the hbo adaptation of the documentary series um from the early 2000s and you you were talking about how you got a real sense of peak for tv (laughs) (laughs) um uh from it from watching that show yeah flumped fully flumped um i i watched the first three episodes because the release schedule is interesting drop the first three and then one every week and it is eight episodes i believe so we're nearly halfway through and it feels almost like it's a big film and then you watch some kind of interesting chapters, appendices after, right? Um, Mm. It feels like rubbernecking that's trying to put itself forward as like, ooh, the truth and perspective and all of this, right? And it opened with a quote about the truth that that made me roll my eyes in the back of my head so much they nearly fell out. Um, But I love Tony Collette, right? So I was like, come on. Um, There were various warnings about kind of it being distressing. I think a lot of it is just very gratuitous and it doesn't feel like it's coming from a place of, I think, compassion. Um, The performances do a lot of the work that I think the writing should be doing. Um, Mm. It feels really exploitative, particularly at one point where we are shown a vivid reconstruction of how the accident could have happened, um, which is a scene taken away from... It's a cutaway as the lawyer's of the defence team are discussing it. And I found it one of the most upsetting things I've seen ever. Um, And Mm. it didn't feel earned enough. And it just felt really um, kind of ghoulish. Um, Mm. It felt like real scraping of the barrel stuff where, again, I think the sort of vagaries of it like, I watched The Affair years ago. I know that truth is tricky. I know that perspectives change different people. There's fiction. There's people's ideas of themselves. Like, 
that was a really I really enjoyed the first couple of series of the affair because it was great to see something that was actually fiction and really dug into the idea of narrative both personal and kind of lionizing and and people who consider themselves the main character it was great but the staircases as you can probably guess I'm finding it incredibly icky I don't think I'm going to keep watching it um because there is other stuff to watch surprise surprise like I don't understand how more people can be gripped because Jen generally the only thing that it, it it's kind of riding on is question mark did he do it but it also to mm. me just feels like they're saying well this guy's a really weird guy he's so weird isn't he and it's like no he's bisexual and a traumatized veteran <laughs> <laughs> like that's not weird it's just not someone we see represented very much and they're not representing him with compassion and showing the you know the reception to him it's, it's really odd i mean maybe that was their intention but i don't think it's coming through strongly enough but it did give me the fatigue of peak tv the fatigue of <laughs> where it did feel like what is the what is the tv equivalent of oscar bait it was like it feels like you're really swinging for certain audience members i.e reviewers this doesn't feel like you're actually making something that can stand on its own that ironically you know if no one watched it would still be a, it would still be a really powerful piece of work and i think it might be and i hope it is the end of true crime because you can't really move for that anywhere i know i'm definitely done with it and i need other stuff in my head because it started to make me feel really quite miserable um mm. And just the element, like the the big names, you know, there's lots of like, oh, award winners, nominees, people you recognise playing real people. Ugh. Like the production design. In contrast, I fired up my Apple TV subscription again because of all the things I've been recommended recently, all seem to be there. And... Mm. I started watching We Crashed, which again is like based on another non-fiction source text that involves real people, but actually comes at things with a lot more compassion and humour. I'm really enjoying the tone of it. I think Anne Hathaway is having a whale of a time playing a tragicomic heroine, and I think dealing with her own kind of meta-narrative. Jared Leto, I don't want to make a habit of this, but he is really spot on as Adam Newman. Again, I think he's putting a lot of himself into it or he's cast mm -hmm. for a reason because I, um, I don't think he has to stretch too hard to play a charismatic cult leader. Mm. But the accent's great. And it was just nice to see something that felt written, you know? And I miss that. I miss good writing. I, I feel like there has been such a burnout of writing staff across a huge amount of streaming shows and apple tv's model is really interesting given that you have to have an apple device so there's already a kind of pre-subscription like barrier to entry and then you pay it not necessarily because you can watch it on a playstation oh can you right okay yeah you can download you can download the app onto other devices oh i see okay well it's not quite as like I, but I couldn't download it onto my like just download it onto an android phone probably not no yeah so there's a little bit it's not as like um universal as like amazon yeah there's a little bit more of a kind of barrier to entry before you can even sign up right and then you do sign up but it's one of the cheapest streaming services mm. and i think it's at its crux of the perfect level of there's quite a few different things that are interesting and different that are, again, written. Mm -hmm. It has some documentaries. I don't think it has too much in the way of kids' stuff, but it feels like a real, oh, now the kids have gone to bed or work is done. Like, what am I going to catch up on with a couple of episodes? 
and it's and you know it's Apple TV. It it does have um, films as well, but the it's not quite as um, unwieldy as anything else. It's quite mm. neatly presented, and I think that's what Apple has always done with all of its products. Um, it's just hard to tell how its model is going to go now because I don't know if it's going to keep acquiring and keep like shooting out originals but it feels more curated than anything else just now it feels like someone's actually considering and going well what do we want to put on here um because at the beginning when it first launched it felt quite sparse but now it's like oh no you're actually taking time and making things that someone seems to believe in it feels um, like more attention is being paid to the creation and therefore I want to pay more attention to the output rather than just this frantic like, okay, you can have some money for a little bit of time, but we're not going to go through with, you know, literally just hitting everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm. Yeah, I think they have benefited a huge amount from the fact that they have managed to have one out of the Park hit with Ted Lasso, yeah. which really is like key to any streaming services. If you can have like the one thing that everyone says that you should get this service for, then um, I think it gives you a lot of leeway to try different things. And they are benefiting from being the anti Netflix in so many ways of basically saying, hey, here's a small number of, you say, shows that feel curated, that feel like people are taking a lot of time to make them as good as possible. And then, you know, really going out of their way to really sell them. You know, like Ted Lasso really felt like something that was being pushed in a major way. Severance, which is their other kind of like big recent hit, really feels like something that has had a big push for it. And the people are really uh, loving and that will potentially be like a big hit, you know, further down the line for them. Um, they They definitely feel like they are in the the sweet spot of, of of something like you know if you look back at say the shows and networks covered in brett martin's difficult men you know and when that's all about how hbo and fx and amc how all those channels really first got into the scripted drama game where you slowly build up your roster you don't you know and even once you have reached that point where people view you as essentially you don't kind of go completely overboard and just produce too much stuff that people can't keep up with yeah um, and that's where i think a lot of the streaming services now are suffering like hbo max i think is still like a really good service and they aren't producing as much as like netflix in terms of a huge amount of stuff but they are producing a lot of stuff and it kind of feels as if some of their really good stuff like i really liked you know ansel elgort being a problematic person in a lot of ways i really liked tokyo vice i thought that show was really good and i thought that that show if it had aired on regular hbo uh solely like you know in the old model it would have got a lot of attention because it's a really solidly made really intriguing based on you know a real account uh and an interesting period in you know modern japanese history um but um coming out on the streaming service it, it feels like more of a curio like in the way that because because hbo just put out so much stuff all the time and that to me seems like where apple are being very savvy about this stuff is that they are really thinking hard about what should our next project be in the same way that again you know hbo in the late 90s or fx in the early 2000s was where they were trying to think what is our brand what is something that we can do that will make us stand out and i think the problem that you see with the staircase or to keep it in the realm of um hbo sort of buzzy or uh purportedly buzzy uh crime shows the undoing it that there is a, a sameness to a lot of that stuff it really just feels as if there is a model that they're all following now um which just ends up with a lot of stuff feeling very similar and why 
you know something like like we talked about yellow jackets when we talked about the in our toxic femininity episode um like that show feels distinctly different than a lot of other stuff that is out there and i think it had to come from showtime who are you know one of the smaller networks in some regards and are less are less driven by the streaming game than a lot of these other channels like they do have a streaming service which you can sign up for but it's not like they're not like really pushing it they're very much treating it as a vestigial thing and maybe that's why yellow jackets feels distinctive because it's not really part of the general sludge of just pumping out as much stuff into the streaming universe as possible that drives a lot of these other services for sure it's really authored and it comes from a place of vision and mm. and, I, and i think kind of as you were discussing like the undoing there in the staircase what i realized that i find quite frustrating about that sort of ilk is that we already have that through terrestrial television like mm. streaming is an arena where you could do something incredibly different and yeah the streamers did and then everything sort of copied and now it's like the streamers no longer lead they seem to just follow at least a lot of the big ones um and disney has its own version of that with just endless universe tie-ins you know marvel star wars all of that and i've said it before and i'll say it again the kind of indie to marvel pipeline makes me incredibly sad but you know Cypher Waititi's making our flag means death and, and other stuff, so maybe. But I understand that, you know, prizing your cockering pout away from the ever-flowing Marvel teat is a tricky one. Mm. It's it's dollar, but like... But, but the art, lads. What about the art? <laughs> uh, so we'll end this episode as we end all our episodes with Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, which we talk about piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you listeners will enjoy as well emily what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week well forgive me but as it's my final episode i don't actually have a recommendation for a piece of culture i have a recommendation for how to approach culture um mm-hmm. and to kind of tie in with the main body of our episode i think i'm done with streaming films i mm. would really love to use my money and yes it will be more money because you can go to the cinema once for like a tenner and then some in the UK just now whereas that can buy you like a month of movie but I think now that I'm able to and pretty much safely go and have it be the only thing I pay attention to in an immersive experience that's what I want to do and I feel that with other things as well and I think generally kind of being able to identify what's a false economy has been really helpful to me in just enjoying and engaging with the culture and the art that I'm that I'm looking at I saw The Worst Person in the World in the cinema a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm. And, it, and it was a film that was so aggressively advertised at me. I was like, I have to see this film. This looks so me. And then I went and saw it and I didn't like it very much. But I loved being in the cinema. I loved that I wasn't half looking at my phone. I loved that I had coughed up. <laughs> um... And I think I would rather, it works for me anyway, I would rather spend a bit more in order to anchor my focus than think I'm getting such a good deal by only paying X, Y, Z. I'm not actually watching anything and just kind of zoning out. Um, I think my recommendation is to just do whatever you can to feel as awake to what you are watching as much as possible. And that's what does it for me, because I think every model is built on your eyeballs staying there for a long period of time. But that's not the same as attention. So, yeah, just um, 
vote with your eyes, I guess. <laughs> is my is my mic drop? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I, I went to go and watch The Northman in a cinema a few weeks ago at this point, and uh, I thought the movie was okay. Um, it didn't completely knock me over or whatever, but uh, I really did feel as if going to a place to watch it and giving it my full attention gave the film as much of a chance as possible of winning me over versus me watching it on my TV in like six months and sort of zoning out every so often. I um, would, I would also, like. yeah, sorry. I would also like to add that these, this experience and this attention needs to be made much more fucking accessible. There was all of this mm. chat during the pandemic. I'm still horrified that a lot of subtitles are pretty below par um, because, you know, it's plumb for me to say, go out there if you can, if it's safe enough, because I can, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are still being left behind and shut out. So streaming needs to step up. and so, But so, so do cinemas. But yeah, I just also needed to check my privilege there. I am going to recommend a video game that I've been playing called Tunic, which is a adventure game where you play as a cute little fox walking around the world that is constantly trying to kill you. Um, it's very Zelda-like in its aesthetics, uh, but what's really drawn me to it is, uh, one, how difficult it is, you get killed a lot, but also um, the obtuseness of it. A lot of the game is you kind of like wandering around trying to figure out what the next thing is that you're meant to do, and um, the game doesn't really give you much in the way of directions of what the controls are so you are you at certain points you'll realize oh i had this ability for this whole time and no one told me and i find the obtuseness of it really compelling as it kind of forces you to really lose yourself in this world and kind of ferret around for different secrets and things like that and it has been a real joy uh playing through that game and every like two or three hours being like oh my god i didn't know this was a whole element of this game and being like really surprised by it so um i would really recommend tunic it's available on xbox game pass so if you have that service you can you essentially have it for free and it's well worth persevering with even though it can at the at times be incredibly kind of like frustrating and vague in ways that i can understand being really off-putting to people but um I personally have really loved it. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Playfriend, Spotify, all the usual places, rate us, reviewers, and recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we're at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next time with something entirely different. <laughs> but until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.